0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, we look at what health insurance is offered to international students on visas after a Pacific Island woman was forced to fork out thousands for cancer treatment. Also, human rights organisations in Fiji call for a gender equity inquiry into sports. After revelations, the national women's rugby team was underpaid. And the Melanesian Arts and Culture Festival returns for the first time since before the pandemic.
2: I believe it's the biggest gathering of people in the Pacific since COVID uh, restrictions have been listed in most of our countries.
1: All that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. So glad to have your company. But first, the kidnapping and abuse of a group of women and girls in Papua New Guinea's highlands has once again been thrust, uh, has once again thrust the issue of sexual violence and the support provided to victims into the spotlight. They've been treated for their physical wounds, but what about their psychological scars? What treatment is available to them and other victims? Not much, it seems, especially for those who live outside Port Moresby, as Liam Fox
3: reports. In a country used to extreme violence, This was another level of barbarity. Seventeen women and girls, some as young as 13 years old, ripped from their homes at gunpoint in the middle of the night, marched into the jungle and abused for days. According to local reports, around 40 armed men kidnapped them from Wualegu Village in Southern Highlands province earlier this month. One victim, aged 17, told the National newspaper they were beaten, starved and repeatedly raped for three days before a small ransom secured their release. How much did the perpetrators make? The equivalent of $800 and five pigs.
4: Unfortunately, when you say, what is my response, I would say it's far too common.
3: Amy Lemoyne is the Global Programs Director for Child Fund, which operates PNG's only domestic violence helpline, One Talk Counseling Helping Line.
4: In terms of the gender-based violence picture, we saw really escalating levels throughout COVID, which isn't, you know, we see that globally as a trend um, during periods of crisis. But even since then, I think levels of of gender-based violence um, and violence more broadly have have been high in PNG, certainly um, last year with the elections and what we saw in the Highlands.
3: After their release, police say the victims were taken to a medical clinic in Morro for treatment. In a statement, Police Commissioner David Manning said... Every effort is being made to ensure they have the support they require to get through the ordeal. But does the support they require after such a traumatic experience even exist in PNG? Unfortunately not, says Ms Lemoyne.
4: There's completely inadequate kind of follow-up and and justice for victims and survivors.
3: She says there are some services in major cities and towns, like the family support centres, but demand far outstrips supply. There
4: are actors in this space, um, they're not adequately resourced. I think those actors are primarily based in in Port Moresby and that's where they have some of the best reach. But I would say broadly, when you come to the more regional and remote areas uh, across PNG, there's very little that's available in practice.
3: Tessie Soy is the coordinator of the Medical Social Work Department at the Port Moresby General Hospital, which includes the city's family support centre. She's seen victims who've experienced similar trauma to the women and girls of Wualegu.
2: I sort of thought, it, you know, well, well, it's happened and uh, what are we going to do ne- Do now, knowing the very limited services we have throughout the country for survivors of gender-based violence. Even with what we've got now and um, in, in the National Capital District, we still have a long way to go.
3: She says the Family Support Centre in Moresby has child counselling services, but only one counsellor.
2: We've had a remarkable um, number of cases of children who've refused to be examined and going through a session that actually
4: agreed to be examined.
3: Ms Lemoyne from Child Fund says a lot more needs to be done to support victims of gender-based violence.
4: There are a lot of people working very hard, a lot of services working very hard in this space, but they just at the moment aren't those sustainably funded services on the ground for victims and if you don't have that then you don't have much of a response to gender-based violence.
3: Meanwhile police are still hunting for the kidnappers in the jungles of Southern Highlands. They believe the perpetrators are the same ones who abducted a group of academics at Mount Basavi in February. They too were released after a ransom was paid.
1: Liam Fox reporting there. Pacific Islanders on certain Australian visas are at times facing facing hefty medical bills if their health insurance does not uncover them for certain illnesses. Here on Pacific Beat, we've reported about pregnant seasonal workers stuck with thousands of dollars in medical bills after the pandemic. But there are others, including students, such as a Nivanuatu woman who is facing payments of tens of thousands of dollars for cancer treatment. As an international student, her insurance doesn't cover her treatment, so they've had to resort to a GoFundMe to collect the funds. But just how common is this? To find out, I'm joined by the President of the Council of International Students, Yagama Sultanpour. Yagana, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Well, I guess just firstly, it's such a big topic to unpack. Is this something that you hear of often, students having to, to fork out for their own treatment?
5: Um. Well, to be very, very honest with you, not not entirely something that's very, very common, um, but it does happen occasionally, specifically when it comes to, um, you know, really reading the fine line of what our insurance actually covers. So when we first come to Australia, one of the main things that's always said is it is legally required for international students to purchase overseas student health cover. Um, However, what then that covers um, is not always communicated very well, and it's really up to the student to then have to look through and read the rules and regulations um, on what they're covered for.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's—is it one of those situations where there's just just so many so many options available, or is it just come down to simply what the, what what they
5: can afford? Um, no, so you know, there's a few ways that you can go about it. It really does rec- come down to um, what insurance is recommended by who at the time. Oftentimes we'd see partnerships with the university that students is going to attend. And that is usually the insurance that is recommended by said university. Um, There's kind of like some more big players that often um, have most of the students covered and students usually, you know, go with them. But in terms of the coverage and how it actually functions once you're here, um, I do understand that there is a lot of miscommunication as well as um lack of understanding, even, you know, for myself as an international student, I find myself accessing the website constantly and saying, can I actually go to the doctor for this or is this covered? Mm. Um, I think I remember um, almost two years ago wondering if, you know, a, a cancer skin check what was covered under my insurance yeah. and how I would have to, you know, go about that. And um, it can get a little bit confusing and having to double check in. Reread so when students, you know, do are faced with illnesses that aren't covered, it can come as not only a shock, but it could be a very, very distressing time for them. Yeah,
1: well, that was my next question. Where do you think that confusion comes from? Is it just a matter of wading through the weeds of the fine print as well as, you know, language barriers and things like that?
5: It could be a whole, whole mixture of things altogether. Number one, you know, when you're going through an illness, you're not in the absolute best headspace, really, to be able to take um, or absorb information. And what you do require at that time is honestly just support. Um, and oftentimes international students don't really have that. They don't really have someone to you know, sit right next to them and kind of walk them through things. Um, and the language barrier definitely does add to that as well if they do have a language barrier. So being able to understand um, what they can and cannot do um as an international student who potentially came here to the country and has no family here um maybe a lack of friends because they're just you know new and um it can just be a very very difficult thing for them to deal with
1: and what kind of support is there available if any to help you go through uh, to help them go through those details
5: i do believe that this kind of changes based on state to state um if it was a personal um thing that I was going through, I'd probably first point of contact would be my insurance provider. I'd go ahead and I'd uh, either give them a call. Most of them do have a number listed that is 24-7. This again depends on what insurance they're with. Otherwise most insurance providers do actually have uh, one representative within the university that they usually work with. So if you've gone through a university to secure that the overseas health student cover, then you should be able to talk to a representative that is within your university itself. So it changes based on that. But oftentimes students are very much just left alone to be able to figure those things out.
1: You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans and I'm chatting with the President of the Council of International Students. We're discussing uh, international students who are being, some of whom, who are being forced to pay for their own medical bills, just to a, a, a number of confusing things when it comes to, to navigating uh, this issue. Um, just moving on, we mentioned that case of, uh, of the Nivanawatu woman who was forced to fork out thousands for a cancer diagnosis um, in the intro. When It comes to cancer, is is something that big, something that's usually covered within um, healthcare insurance, or or does it depend on the level of of cover chosen? Do you know?
5: Um, To be honest, I think when I when I first heard about, I did try to do a little bit of digging and what and try to figure out what could have happened or what the insurer could have said to um, the student. So it is so unfortunate that she is going through this. Um, and I, and I do imagine that it's a very difficult time. And when I, when I kind of read some of the rules and regulations on what could be covered and how it could be covered, my best guess is that sometimes, um, health providers don't actually cover what they consider under the branch of, um, existing illnesses. Mm. And this is a very common thing. And it has occurred with uh, a number of other students that may have contracted something while they were you know, um, out of the country, specifically if the insurer believes that that certain, um, you know, illness does not actually exist or is not common within Australia, then they will not cover it simply because it could have been contracted outside of Australia. Now with things such as cancer, I'm wondering whether they believe that because there was, there could be um, something genetic or um, it could have probably not been screened before but they probably just believe that it could have been something that was um, a pre-existing illness and therefore they won't cover it but for I couldn't really tell you for sure simply because I haven't been involved in that interaction
1: yeah look it's it's, it's really sad that uh, to, to get coverage for something like cancer you've almost got to hope that you catch it while you're overseas and, and not in your own country, where it can be considered um, pre-existing. Uh, just, just moving on. So, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand up and admit I've actually travelled overseas before without health insurance, and then gotten back and realised what a what a huge risk I was taking. How big of a risk are international students taking if they if they don't get healthcare just based on some of the challenges financially? I now, mean, um,
5: so it is legally required for. Um every single student coming overseas to study um, under a student visa to have overseas health student cover secured. Um, so you wouldn't really be able to get any students here really without um, adequate um, health student cover. And oftentimes they're covered not only until the point of study, but also three or four months beyond their study as well for the period to stay that they might have here um, to ensure that they're covered. So it is a legal requirement for all students to have Held student cover, but what cover they choose um, is up to them.
1: And I suppose if they do get cover that doesn't uh, quite meet their needs, what kind of financial hole can they can they often find themselves in?
5: I think something very similar to what that poor student is going through right now. Um, it could be very difficult to, I guess, figure out. And if, if your university is, you know, suggesting a certain cover over another one. Um, I guess it could be a little bit difficult to choose. My understanding is oftentimes universities would have partnerships with certain insurance providers and often the bigger ones. And um, those ones are quite literally the ones that function mostly like Medicare would that would cover students on most things.
1: And, and just based on um, your experience and, and what you do for a living, I mean, what kind of changes uh, would you like to see made? What, um, what would a way out be from your perspective, do you think?
5: I think from, from the very beginning, I've always just been saying that education is probably one of the biggest or best ways um, to go about it. Students just need to know what they're covered for, what they're not covered for. Um, and as much as I'd like to say that, this has been made clear. I don't think it still has because to this day, um, I don't think I personally really struggle with my language, but oftentimes I find it difficult to kind of navigate through pages and pages of wording. Um, The lack of imagery is something with most of these insurance providers that I'm very worried with. There's no infographic, there's no imagery. Um, And I'm also just hoping for a more inclusive way of actually being able to communicate this to students, students who may not, You know, be very well versed in their abilities to read or navigate. And oftentimes when you're when you're ill, the last thing you're going to do is you're going to scroll through pages and pages of information and check on what you're covered for and what you're not covered for. So just education and better, clear writing
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's such complex topics for for people so young uh, to navigate, and, and let's be honest. Oftentimes, for teenagers and people in their early twenties, their health is the is the last thing on their mind. So when something does happen, they're often often unprepared for it. So let, let's hope that uh, it can get cleared up for them soon. Uh, Yagana, that's all we've got time for today. But thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beat, and uh, and thank you for your insight.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It was Yagana Sultanpour, President of the Council of International Students, speaking with me there. ABC Radio Australia brings you great sporting
0: rivalry with State of Origin. Sure ball away, Liam Martin, and he's over to score. This year promises to be a cracking series.
3: Spins it deep, away to Munster, left foot stab, big and go!
0: Date of Origin, Wednesday, 7 pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific.
6: Loving rugby league in
0: 2023.
3: Hold the front page.
1: It's that time of the morning where we look at what's making headlines around the region. And to do that, I'm I'm joined by producer Talia Olatia. Talia, welcome back.
0: Good morning, Kyle. How are you today? I'm doing well. They're tired, but, you know, it's Wednesday. All will be forgiven.
1: Um, let's start in the uh, Cook Islands where defects have been detected in an Australian gift.
0: Yeah, that's right. The Cook Island News is reporting that police have confirmed that defects have been detected in the patrol vessel to Two, which was gifted by the Australian government to the Cooks last year. Police spokesman Trevor Pitt is quoted saying that the boat has been dealing with various defects, defects since delivery, but says that this is understandable given the new class of vessel. Mr Pitt went on to say that this issue is being resolved in consultation with Australia. Now, Phoebe Smith is the Australian High Commissioner to the Cook Islands, and she's quoted as saying that the Australian Defence Force will continue to work through these issues to ensure that impact on operations is kept to a minimum. You'll remember last year the Australian government embarked on a forced recall of several several patrol boats it gifted to Pacific Island nations, um, but at the time it told Cook Island News that this was not expected to affect the Cook Islands bound to Kukupatu. Obviously, that has changed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's good news. let hopefully they can uh, they can get those defects uh, fixed soon. I do remember when that when that broke last year, mm. it caused uh, quite quite the headache.
0: And obviously, with all the security and you know mm. efforts being put in, it's making sure that you know what Australia is giving is actually helpful. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they play an important role. Um, let's move on to Samoa now, where the government has cut ties with a travel company uh, that has courted a bit of controversy in recent weeks.
0: Yeah, that's right. Speaking in Parliament yesterday, the. Sam- Samoan Prime Minister Fiamme Naomi Mataafa revealed that the government has cut ties with Travel Force, which is a Hong Kong re- registered travel company that organised direct flights from China and earlier this month brought in hundreds of Chinese tourists. Now, the Samoa Observer reports that this company has a relationship with a local travel firm, um, this, which is called Samoa Royal Tours, which is registered under the name of one of the Minister for Agriculture and Fisheries Children, which is raised publicly. Public criticism about the partnership as the, as the company has been given exclusive rights to be the tour company for visiting Chinese tourists and investors. The Prime Minister told Parliament that given the negative reaction from many, including the Samoa Tourism Authority, that it was no longer um, proper for that relationship to continue as it was. Um, Talamua Online News also reports that the Hong Kong-based company Travel Focus can continue its business activity. That's according to the Prime Minister um, and that is in regards to chartered direct flights from China to Samoa because it does have a positive economic impact.
1: Indeed. And uh, and finally today, some, some good news for the Fiji women's rugby team.
0: Yeah, that's right. Fiji Village is reporting that the Fiji Rugby Union Trust Board has met and confirmed a $170,000 payout for outstanding allowances for the recent Fijianas 15 tour plus outstanding allowances due to the World Cup Fijianas 15 team and repayment of penalties to two affected players. Now, the publication reports that the interim chairman, Peter May, Maisie says that they're working with the team um, to resolve issues as soon as possible and will be meeting with captains and captains the captain and players next week. Mr Maisie also gave assurances that players who spoke out will not be penalised when it comes to team selection. The interim chair says the board of trustees is also hoping to work with the team to get their input on women's rugby, which is going to be a major part of the restructure at Fiji Rugby.
1: Yeah, look, that's that's fan, that's fantastic news, and, and I say it again, it is it is a shame that it took a, a Twitter post mm. to, to get to this point, but it's it's great that these changes are finally being made. And, and later on in the show, actually, we're going to speak to a uh, uh, someone from a human rights coalition who is who is going to be looking at changes not just in rugby but across the board uh, mm. in Fiji sports. So let's hope this is uh, the start of great things to come. Uh, Talia, thank you very much for joining us today with Newswrap.
0: No worries, thanks, Kyle.
1: The Melanesian Arts and Culture Festival is returning for the first time since the COVID pandemic, and organisers say it'll be bigger and better than ever before. Between five and 10,000 people are expected to travel to Port Vila from around the region, where the festival gets underway next month. Cultural Arts Director Richard Shing says this year's festival will have a greater online audience, more youth orientation, and predicts it will be the biggest post-COVID festival in the Pacific.
2: I think what's different, it's going to be different from the others is that because of COVID, you know, everybody basically operated online. The Zoom conferences, live streaming sort of skyrocketed and stuff and social media became, you know, more or less the trend. So we're trying to, uh, for this this time around, we're going to be live streaming the art festival for the first time. And that's probably going to be the biggest difference as in comparison to previous uh, other place followers during the festival. Uh, in addition, there'll be some extra uh, activities which we haven't had in other festivals, which we'll be hosting for the first time in this particular event. Yeah, but it will also be the biggest uh, gathering since you know COVID was lifted last year, basically in the Pacific. Just um,
1: association with the UNESCO and uh, PIF. Perf-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did, they said they were going to make it better. As always, it's the aim of every consecutive uh, event. Markfest. We'd really like to make it bigger and better than the previous one, which was held in Solomons. So hopefully this will be bigger and better. We'll be operating like performances. We'll be done in eight different venues. We'll have different venues for other aspects of the program. There'll be a theater going on, there'll be a film festival, there'll be a festival, there'll be, festival, there'll be artists and, and um, people who can do weaving and carving. Uh, also part of it, there'll be exhibitions and there'll be two conferences. One for you know, academics and cultural practitioners and the other one will be basically aimed at high school and primary school students. So I also heard there was a symposium that was associated with the university. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Symposium will be uh, run by the, national, the newly established National University of Vanuatu we, we have been working with them. Been already, there's already more than 20 abstracts from around the region, including Australian and New Zealand, coming to present. Uh, I, I believe we'll be getting about 30-odd people presenting during this symposium. Uh, and that's one aspect of the program which will be live-streaming entirely, since we consider that as an important aspect of the, the festival itself.
1: Right, and, and that's to, to maybe get a bit more involvement from the students,
2: especially in
1: universities, is that?
2: Yeah, um, we, well, one of the main aims uh, for such events is to encourage younger generations to recognise the importance of custom and culture uh, in our region. And so, um, hence, we will be including students, university students, in the big symposium proper, which will be discussing the theme and sub-themes uh, of, of the theme and also we'll we're having a workshop which is being organized by authors and poets in Vanuatu. Uh, this is a new thing which we do to encourage Melanesians to uh take up writing creative writing as, as as a as a as a hobby, but also some could you know professionally continue in in uh, creative writing. We will be having workshops and presentations for this particular event and we will encourage uh, both secondary and primary schools to attend. It will also be at a time where, uh, because it's the one week before our independent celebration, normally schools go have a holiday for a week during this, this time. So we're, hopeful we're hoping that other that the school students can also participate a lot in this particular program. Uh, so uh, the festival, I mean, past festivals, uh, similar arts and culture festivals, mainly focus on performances and, and music and handicrafts and artifacts and tangible things like that. But we, we rarely get to see an educational aspect of it, but especially in, in line with the theme, which is uh, rebuilding my Melanesia for our common destiny, uh, which um, we, 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 we chose this theme because uh, we live in a disaster-prone part of the region. And this year, I'm about... 1,200 participants coming from within the region and also in the provinces of Vanuatu.
1: Great. And, like, probably even more people coming in to see it. Um, oh, how many yeah. people are we you expecting? Ex-
3: <laughs>
2: We're expecting all the hotels and motels and any place you can sleep in Vila really to be fully booked. <laughs> because there'll be visitors coming, um, there'll be tourists coming, um, there'll be people even from the islands in Vanuatu coming just to watch. Uh, this event. It's, it's, it's probably what I'm, I'm anticipating it to be the biggest event Vanuatu has ever seen. That's, and, and that's, can you tell uh, an estimate, maybe? I'd say between five and 10,000 extra people, well, okay. just to be safe. Yeah. It could be more.
1: Cultural Arts Director for the Melanesian Arts and Culture Festival, Richard Shing, talking to reporter Jan Kahoot.
0: Love sport? Tune in to Can You
3: Be More Pacific? With Sarah Nangama
0: and Dean Halatau. Jerry Tawai would not be
5: part of the run-on team. Now, this is the first time in five years after the men's team had won the Hong Kong Sevens that he would not be featuring.
3: Yeah, no good for Fiji. For any fans of Fiji, they're not seeing him out in the field.
5: Jerry is the king of Sevens. Oh, I probably shouldn't say that because I could rub the Serepi fans quite wrong.
3: Right. <laughs> Can You Be More Pacific? Thursdays from 6 p&g time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Well, having a connection back to who we are and where we come from is important for all of us, and connecting to his culture feeds the creativity and storytelling of Brady Jones, a.k.a. Bricky B. The proud Yorta Yorta musician and spoken word artist from Shepparton, Victoria in Australia has used his art to share his knowledge and culture with others through words and rhyme.
6: Let the green gum leaves burn, It's time to spiritually heal my hurt. Let the smoke soak into my aura. My ancestors arrived right on time. I recognise I'm a Yorta Yorta.
5: Meet Brady Jones, a proud Yorta Yorta musician and spoken word artist from Shepparton, Victoria. This is him performing his piece, Let the Green Gum Leaves Burn.
6: I'm in the dark, standing on the banks of the mighty Dungala waters, surrounded by my people, surrounded by warriors. They form a circle around the fire. In that moment, I feel their power. I feel like a fighter. In that moment... It's like the exhaling all my doubt, making me inhale everything I should have known about, how to hunt, how to track something that I want and run it down. Music has
5: helped Brady connect back to his culture, and now he wants to share that with others.
6: It feels like home, and like I always say, through culture it builds, builds character and it builds confidence, and through the music, yeah, I've, I've been able to connect back with my my people, my community, and empower not only myself, but try to empower my people as well, and the younger ones, because they're the future to our culture as well, you know.
5: Brady performs under the stage name Bricky B, a reference to his day job as a bricklayer. However, the name also has a deeper meaning.
6: Everyone doesn't really know what Bricky B actually means, but it means Brady represents Indigenous culture, knowledge, yorta yorta base. If we can't see it, we can't be it. Well, if we haven't got our own people in positions of power, well, hey, what are we meant to inspire to? So... We can't see we can't beat while well, they're there. We can see it.
5: Brady's daughter, Shaniqua AJ, is following in his footsteps. At just 16, she's a talented musician in her own right.
6: When I think about it, I get a bit emotional, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm very, very proud of Shaniqua. She's definitely stepped into her own element and she just goes away and writes her own stuff and she comes back to me and I'll give her a bit of feedback. But at the end of the day, she does all that so by herself. Now we like I'm in deep, deep hypnosis. I'm just drifting, drifting closer to my culture. It's such a trip. I look across the fire to take a glimpse. They're starting to shake their legs and move their feet. They're starting to chant ancient lingo to welcome a chief. A language so foreign to me. A language these days my people hardly ever speak. But I focus, I listen closely to hear them speak. Yakum na mula na gambina. Yakum na mula na gambina. Family spirit rise, family spirit rise. As they put their hands high towards the night skies, the full moon and the stars shine, I feel my body move, I feel my soul soothed, I feel my heart and my mind get energised, I feel a strong, powerful vibe, resonating from an ancient time. They tell me I share the same bloodline, a long line of leaders, hunters and believers, survivors of the meanest, the so people have walked this land for eons. The chief says, give us your hand, brother, be proud, brother, we protect you with your cover, we love you, you're a spirited one, Molana, Molana."
1: Beautiful words there. That story by Georgina Carroll. A coalition of human rights organisations is calling for a public inquiry into gender equity in sports at all levels across Fiji. It comes after revelations the national women's rugby team have not been fully paid by the Fiji Rugby Union Football Trust Board. Some female players have also complained on social media about their treatment within the sport. Nalini Singh, chair of the NGO Coalition on Human Rights, is among those calling for the issue to be addressed. She joins us now. Nalini, welcome to the program.
7: Thank you so much.
1: Not a problem. Now, the NGO coalition of human rights is calling for a public inquiry into this issue. What do you hope such an inquiry will achieve?
7: We hope that the you know public inquiry will um, serve bring to surface what we have been hearing for a long time uh, and what the players have raised themselves in terms of, uh, you know, the issues around um, accountability and good governance with the Fiji Rugby Union. We want to see um, that there are, you know, procedures and processes um, that can be reviewed, which will ensure that, uh, you know, the players all have contracts uh, and there are ways in, in which, uh, you know, there, We don't get into a situation like we are in now. I mean, this is not the first time this issue has been raised. Players' uh, welfare and well-being must be paramount and there must be ways in which um, those that are uh, in leadership uh, are held to account, and when we look at the leadership uh, at the Fiji Rugby Union, you know, one of the very gaping gaps, um, uh, uh, you know, is is the fact that you know, we don't have women, um, you know, on on the board. I mean, very few women on the board. We need to have more women on board so that they can also contribute to uh, continuing. And improving um, the uh, services that uh, Fiji Rugby uh, Union uh, is meant to be providing for um, the sport that is much loved in Fiji.
1: Yeah, I think most people would agree that'd be that'd be a very a very good place to start. One of the things that interested me uh, about that press release um, was that this isn't just looking at a professional and elite sport. This is sport at at all levels. Is that right?
7: Yes, uh, because you know, rugby as a sport um, has, you know, I mean, it's, it's national interest, and and there are many women, young women and girls who are watching with a lot of interest as to, uh, you know, what kinds of development uh, um, have been um, in this sport in the world and and here in Fiji. So there are many who are um, now venturing into playing sports at the local level. And so we... You know, are asking for uh, the the same kind of attention to be paid at the community level. Um, you know, uh, rugby uh, as well, because that's where um, the talent for those that then get into um, you know competing, uh, playing for the country at the uh, regional, international level. You know, can you know you, we can get the talent from there, and you know we see that. Um, the fact that um, there is a very uneven attention paid uh, to women in rugby and men in rugby. And we firmly believe that, in fact, women need more attention. Given the challenges and the barriers that women face, um, you know, there needs to be much more um, that can be done to ensure that the the game um, is, uh, uh, you know, is governed and managed and, you know, provided for and and cared for uh, at all levels. And I think that that is not a a hard ask. It it needs the kind of management, strategic planning and implementation, marketing, uh, fundraising that all can be done by the union.
1: You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans and I'm chatting with chair of the NGO coalition on human rights Nalini Singh who is calling for a public inquiry into gender equity in sports in Fiji. Um Nalini, now this issue was obviously sparked by the Fijiana 15's captain taking to Twitter to voice some of her concerns. Now rugby union it's it's the flagship sport in Fiji. You'd think they should be leading leading the way in things like gender equity and the fact that they aren't what example um Uh, has that set for sort of some of those lesser mainstream sports? Do you expect there to be a, a whole lot of issues in other sports as well?
7: yes uh definitely um we uh you know sports uh, as as you know it has a lot of potential uh for development in the ways that um you know both men and women can contribute can participate uh, professionally um you know at you know from the community up to the international level there's so many different um avenues in which um those that are interested have specific talents and interests in that can you know um, develop their skills, make the livelihoods, uh, et cetera. I mean, we are talking about um, you know, soccer, we are talking about um you know uh, golf um, you know, netball, volleyball, basketball, tennis, um, there's uh, a whole range of sports that need to have the kinds of attention that um, can promote, um, you know, uh, both uh, the participation of men and women. Um, And yes, Fiji Rugby Union can definitely, um, you know, improve in its governance and accountability and leadership and management and pave the way for other Uh, associations and bodies um, to do similar because um, we all know that um, the government um, has uh, strongly committed to ensuring that there is gender equality uh, across the board. Um, And we are recognising the statistics that um, have recently been launched with the country, the Fiji Country Gender Assessment, where we see that in sports, you know, there's a dismal participation of women for a a number of reasons. And um, so the onus is now on all sporting bodies, you know, beginning with the Fiji Rugby Union to um, display. how, um, you know, uh, does it then commit to ensuring gender equality um, in, in the sport that it is responsible for? And how then does um, uh, that uh, inspire all the other sporting bodies to do similar?
1: Nalini, uh, you you make some incredibly uh, valid points there, and we can't wait to see how this inquiry plays out. We're going to have to cut you short there, sorry, because we are running out of time on today's show with another liver to get through. But thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beta, and good luck with the inquiry. We'll be watching very, very closely.
7: Thank you. Thank you for spotlighting this issue on your program.
1: Not a problem. That was NGO Coalition on Human Rights. Nalini Singh speaking to me there. Well, the best way to enjoy Kava can differ depending on who you speak to or what country you are in. However, a business in New Zealand is using it as a way to bring people together to discuss important issues such as religion and sexuality. Four Shells Kava Lounge is the name of the business and it's run by uh, Anu Masui Henry and her husband, Todd Henry, who joins us on the line now. Todd, welcome to the show. Hello, Lily. Now. I guess let's start on the initiative. It's called Kava X. Can you tell me a little bit about it?
2: yeah, so kava
8: x uh it's, it's an it's an offshoot of i guess what we were already doing at uh Four Shells, you know, just providing a space people could come, learn about kava and and the benefits of sharing Kava together and and you know conversation, Talanoa and and building community. um but yeah, Kava X was a little bit more of a um concentrated effort to to facilitate the, these kind of things, but not only in Four shells. Uh, but really nationwide around New Zealand so
1: yeah yeah look it's definitely an interesting way uh, of of using kava sort of as this linchpin to bring uh, important issues to light uh, tell me what what is it about kava that makes it uh, makes it suitable suitable to to do this sort of thing
8: well you know kava it's um, to anybody who who's drank enough of it to feel the effects you know you're not getting drunk or high off of it 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 gives you a sense of well-being um, uh, of being in one place and, and, you know, spending time with the people that you're with. Nobody's rushing off to go anywhere when you're having kava. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's why we think uh, kava is suitable in terms of just the effects. But from a cultural standpoint, um, it, it's, you know, in this uh, modern society, I feel like we need something like this that grounds us, brings us together. It's not about hyping up and getting drunk and all these things. Um, but yeah, with, with Kava, also with Kava Action, and with four cells, a big part of what we, we do and what we want to do, the goal is to clear up a lot of the misconceptions that exist around Kava, both, uh, you know, in New Zealand and Australia, worldwide, really. So,
1: yeah. And, and so and just in your initiative, how do people go from drinking Kava to, to opening up and, and talking about, uh, you know, important issues like religion and, uh, and sexuality?
8: Well, um, we open it up, and uh, of course, the, you know, the kava is prepared. Uh, we say, you know, we say lotu. we bring people together, we welcome everybody in in a semi-formal way. Uh, and then we just let the conversation flow. This is the, the, the nature of Thalanoa itself, this informal um, style of conversation where, you know, it's the, the kava is flowing, the people are together, and the conversation takes its path wherever it wants to go. Um, and, you know, we, we do say, uh, you know, this is a safe space. Whatever people want to talk about, you will not be judged for any, anything, any views or any uh, experiences that people want to bring to light. And it's just something, yeah, something about the, the Kaaba and the community. Um, it just facilitates that openness.
1: Yeah no look I'm a fan of Kava myself I'm aware of uh, of the effects it can have what what kind of things um have you have you seen uh, since the initiative has been up and running have you seen conversations go to an emotional and raw place or a light and funny place I imagine it can probably go anywhere
8: yeah b- both uh, anything and everything uh, I mean the one thing you generally will not see uh, in, in Kava sessions is people getting angry and fighting with one another but yeah it, it, it's been emotional it's been um, you know yeah laughing is is it's just supportive all around
1: yeah you're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans, and I'm chatting with Todd Henry, who runs a Carver lounge in New Zealand with his wife. And they're using it a way as using it as a way to bring people together and as a way to get people to open up. Todd, I want to move on slightly just with Carver and its role in New Zealand. What is the perception of Carver in New Zealand? Is it popular at a mainstream, mainstream level?
8: Uh, I would say uh, not, no, <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> uh, of course, in the Pacific Island communities, it's uh, it's generally really well understood. Of course, it's uh, you know, kava is a very important um, plant. It's not just a drink. It's a it's a cultural keystone species that underpins the very cultures that uh, of the islands that it comes from. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I'm obviously I don't know if you can tell by my voice, I'm not uh, of Pacific Island descent, but my wife Anau is Tongan. Um, so we've been married for, well, we've been together for 13 years, 15 years, married for 13. And, um, you know, when I, when I first, uh, came into the family, I didn't speak any Tongan. I didn't understand the cultural context, uh, you know, coming from the United States. So, uh, naturally the family was like, you should go and, and fight Kaaba with the, the cousins and whatever, whoever else in the community. So I've done that. And that was, that was how I learned about Kaaba, But I was, you know, it became a really uh, special thing to me. I, I don't drink alcohol or, or do anything else. Um, and uh, I, I found when I was talking to people about the, uh, me going to, to fight kava that people were very um, misinformed about it. Now, a lot of people sort of uh, looked at it like, oh, this is, a, is, is this an illicit drug or is it some kind of alcohol? Um, so, yeah, in terms of that, uh, your average, I would, I would venture so far as to say your average Kiwi probably has some misconceptions about kava. Um, they many people have had it, but it's been on, you know, on holiday in Fiji. And uh, my my sense is that they go to the resort and they start sucking down the beers and wines and <laughs> then they're welcomed in with kava. And, and it's not really uh, perhaps not explained that much because, you know, in Fiji, it's a very normal thing. Like nobody here would feel the uh, compelled to explain what coffee is to somebody. You know, it's just something we have.
1: Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's similar. Similar in Australia, it's. Uh, it's probably more the novelty appeal as opposed to something that the you, you consider uh, consider mainstream. And uh, you, you are a very you know um, unique case study of it because I know you went on to actually write a write a photo essay about it too. Um, quick question on that. I mean, your wife. You, you mentioned she was Tongan. Did you did you guys virtually bond over over your your love of uh, of carver or anything like that?
8: Um, well, I guess uh, not, not so much in the beginning, um, you know, Kaba I was around kava because my wife's father, uh, has always been in the kava business. Actually, it's like a multi-generational thing for them. They've, uh, they've been kava growers, kava processors. So her dad has the kava pounding machine, um, in Tonga. And we, you know, when we went to Tonga, when our son was really young, it was, uh, they'd fire up the machines at about 7am and wake up the baby and stuff. <laughs> It's it's pretty it's a nostalgic thing I guess just that sound of the pounding and um, and then of course yeah when you get married uh, we got married in Tonga and on the um, they call it the Sapate Uluaki the first Sunday the couple comes together and, and drinks kava together and that seals the deal of the of the marriage um, so yeah it is a, it is a special thing um, but we uh, we didn't meet and and decide like all oh, let's get together because we love kava <laughs> but yeah.
1: Oh, well, it's definitely translated into something very nice, being the uh, being a, being a Carver Lounge uh, within within Auckland, and I would love to chat more about that, Todd. But uh, un- unfortunately, we're we're coming uh, to the end of the show. We're going to run into the clock uh, if we're not careful. But thank you very much for for joining us on Pacific Beat. Congratulations on that in- initiative. It's it's uh, it's really yeah funky and and, and wacky and and but beautiful at the same time. And and all the best with it. Hello, Marlo. That was Todd, Todd Henry, the uh, the owner of Four Shells Carver Lounge. He was speaking to us there about a new initiative they're running. But that's all we've got time for on Pacific to, on Pacific Beat today. Unfortunately, I'm Kyle Evans. Uh, stay tuned because the news is next. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow at six am PNG time. Have a fantastic morning.